0: But if you'd like to turn your Bibles to Mark chapter one, Mark chapter one, that's where we're going to be today as we continue this. Uh, I'm going to talk to you about some practical tips. Practical tips. Uh, we've been talking a lot about some about prayer, and uh, we've learned a lot of a lot of principles. We've gone through the Lord's Prayer. We've gone through a lot of even instruction from Jesus in the Beatitudes regarding prayer. And uh, we've gone through some parables about prayer that Jesus taught about persevering prayer. Remember about the, uh, the, the sleepy neighbor as well as the unjust judge. So we've learned a lot, at least uh, um, we've, we've put a lot out there on the table. And now we're just going to look at some practical tips, too. Or we're going to begin just looking at a, maybe for a couple Sundays here of trying to, how do we apply all of this? And in Mark chapter 1, verse 35 is where I'm at. Uh, the very first chapter of Mark, Mark is talking about the ministry of Jesus. He talks about how John the Baptist, you know, announced Jesus as as the Messiah. And then Jesus, he actually goes out into the wilderness and he experiences his temptations there for 40 days and 40 nights. And, um, um, and then he's coming back and he's beginning to minister. And he's collected a few disciples at this point. And... Here in verse 35, he had uh, actually just, uh, the day before, he had spoken in a synagogue and had actually released a man from demon possession. So, so this is the next day now. And it says, before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and he went out to an isolated place to pray. Later, Simon and the others went out to find him. You know, they just joined him. He's just starting his ministry. And they've just joined him and he can't, they can't find him. So they went out to look for him. And when they found him, they said, everyone is looking for you. Of course they are. Man, he was, he's, he's been doing some marvelous things. He's ministering to people. Everyone's looking for you. But Jesus replied, he didn't even answer that question. He, he replied, we must go on to other towns as well. And I will preach to them too. That is why I came. So he traveled throughout the region of Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and casting out demons. Well, wow. Lord, we pray today as we as we look at uh, this important area of discipleship and learning to pray. Well, we know it's it's a learning process, and we know you're very patient with us, and you're very well. We've already learned that you you aren't uh, you aren't hard, Lord, to on us when it comes to prayer. You are. You are very compassionate and you are patient with us and, and you just want the best for us when it comes to learning to understand you and communicate with you and fellowship with you. You're, you're very generous and kind. And Lord, I pray today that we will be able to understand Lord, how important it is that we, while well, it's important to learn the principles, it's important also to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There's a verse that has uh, always meant a lot to me over the years and uh, it's in Proverbs 29 verse 18. It's actually a verse I heard many times as I would go to leadership conferences and things and they would use this verse sometimes in the wrong way, in the wrong context. But you've heard it before in the King James it goes something like this, where there is no vision but the people... Perish, right? So we've you've heard that before. Where there is no vision, that people perish. A lot of times, that is mis taken out of context because the the vision, the people, uh, everybody, a lot of the leaders have vision. You know, they have vision, but that's not the kind of vision the Bible's talking about. The actual the actual uh, interpretation of that is this: that when people do not accept divine guidance, this is what vision is, and it's divine revelation. When people do not accept divine guidance they run wild but whoever obeys the law is joyful. There you have it. That when we obey God's principles there's joy that comes. I recently heard of a of a young man who was really wrestling about going to church and he hadn't gone to church for uh, for quite a while and the Lord had been dealing with his heart about going to church and he had been reading, he had been seeking the Lord actually and, and praying and reading and and uh, just and he hadn't gone to church such a long time that he it was kind of a fearful thing for him to, to go back and uh, but he decided he was going to go back and that one Sunday morning as he got up and everything was against him everything was suggesting to him do you don't need to go to church to be a Christian blah 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 and on and on and on and and he said uh, he, he said I almost stopped you know 20 times before I got into my into my car and uh, as I was in the driveway I was gonna I thought I was so afraid like I, I don't know what to do when I get to church blah 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 and he said but I put it in reverse I backed out onto the street and as I put it in drive to go forward joy exploded in my soul he said I don't know how else to explain it he said there was this joy that just exploded in me like, I was on my way to obeying God. <laughs> That's what the Scriptures is telling us, that loved ones, whoever obeys the law, whoever obeys God's will, whoever obeys the Scriptures, obeys Jesus' teachings, it's joyful. That's where the joy comes from. Someone has suggested one day, I've heard people suggest this, that that may be why there's not so much joy in the church sometimes. because. There's so much truth that we have that we're not obeying. I don't know. Is that true or not? You know, there's so much truth that God has given us that we're not obeying what he's told us to to do Um, because there is great joy in obedience. I was thinking about these meaningful relationships because uh, prayer deals with, you know, rela- is our is, is relationship with God. And today I want to talk to you again on one particular tip about, a practical tip, that prayer can be a tithe. Prayer can be a tithe of your day. Now, again, we're trying to make things practical, trying to, how do we learn to pray? Prayer can be a tithe of your day. When Becky and I, you know, uh, well, when, when you think about meaningful relationships, uh, they require effort. They, re- re- they require something that you do to make your relationship rich with somebody else. And prayer, uh, meaningful prayer, loved ones, requires practical actions as well. Uh, remember the Apostle James, he says something, uh, something like this, and you'll, you'll remember it, that it's important as disciples of Jesus to not just know God's truth, but to what? To do God's truth. We can know everything about the principles of prayer that we've been learning. But unless we actually do it and actually actually start practicing it ourselves, then we won't receive the joy. We won't receive the benefit of this enhanced relationship with the Heavenly Father. We're supposed to be doers of God's word. Amen? So, you know, if, you know what good is it to know where the light switch is if you'd never flip it on, right? When it's dark. Yeah, so we know where the light switch is. So flip it on, then that way you can enjoy the light when it's dark. Amen. When I was a youngster, I used to hear adults say that um, you know that ignorance is bliss you ever heard that before? Ignorance is bliss? Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, I tell you, I, they shouldn't have told me that because telling a kid who didn't like to go to school anyway that ignorance was bliss made me feel better. It, it seemed like I was getting permission from adults to not go through the hard work of learning <laughs> and that, that I'm, uh, doing something I didn't want to do in the first place. However, I soon found out that the axiom wasn't true. It's not fun to be ignorant at all. It isn't fun to be ignorant. It's uh, fact. I, I uh, ignorance gets you in trouble a lot of times. It restricts your freedom and privileges. It, you, 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 it can actually even put you in chains of slavery—slaves, uh, slavery to tyrants, slavery to sin, slavery to fear. Ignorance can even kill you. You know, if you go try looking for gasoline with a, you know with a match, you're going to be in trouble. You know, if you don't know about uh, those two things, don't that they don't mix, you know the phrase actually comes from a poem written by an English poet uh, named Thomas Gray, one of my favorite authors, back in seventeen forty two. He reflects back, it's one of his very first poems, and he reflects back on his carefree days in school before he had to go out into the world and face the responsibilities of adulthood and learning how to overcome hardship and grief and loss and pain. And Thomas Gray was saying in his poem that to be ignorant of such lessons of life is bliss, that when you're a kid, ignorance is bliss, that you don't have to worry about anything, you know, Uh, but when you become an adult, then you have all these responsibilities that come upon you, you know, and um, sometimes it's just, you just want to go back to being a kid again, don't you, where you didn't have to, to think about so many things. Well, that's a childish thought, isn't it? Uh, Like the apostle Paul says, when I was a child, I thought like a child, but when I became a man, I put childish thoughts behind me. So a a person who does not know about a problem, you know, you don't have to worry about it, but they still may become a casualty of that problem. Yeah. Um, Sometimes even adults like ignorance, don't we? We we don't want to know what the government's doing. You know, we we don't want to know what is happening in our culture because we just don't want to know because it's worrisome and we know it's going the wrong direction we don't want to think about it you know kind of like that nomad that was you know was in his tent at night and he was hungry and uh, he was at night and he couldn't see so he had a he had a little pouch of dates that you know he was was going to nibble on for a little snack and he uh, turned the light on And looked at this, took out the first date, and there was a worm in it. So he he threw it out of the tent. He looked at the uh, more worms in every date. Finally, he thought, look, how many dates left? He turned the light off, started eating the dates without looking at them. (laughs) Ignorance is, you know, we don't want to know the truth a lot of times. The ones, and that's not a good thing. We need to know the truth. Jesus said God's word sets us free. The truth sets us free. It helps us. The truth, you know, reveals to us, you know, we're getting ready to write, go over a cliff. You know what I mean? And um, ignorance can never truly be bliss. Rather, it's just the root cause of misery in, in human beings, someone has said. But Jesus tells us again in John eight thirty two that the truth of God will set us free. Obeying the teachings of Jesus will lift you up out of the ignorance of the devil's de- deceptions, his bondages, the ignorance of truth, God's word, again, it's not bliss. It's not bliss to be ignorant of what Jesus says. When Becky and I were first married, of course, uh, I, I was probably more naive than she was about things. But one thing that we dis- we really discovered that where ignorance was not bliss was what it takes to have a and on well, a to develop a growing love within to make a happy marriage. We uh, I fully didn't realize the effort it would take in the the maintenance and the the purposeful intentional um, effort at at uh, causing love to grow. Um, I just didn't I just didn't realize that that was part of the thing of marriage. I just thought things just happened. People just stayed married. They just learned to love each other. And <clears throat> but it wasn't true that I had to learn about how to be a husband I had to learn about how to serve my wife how to protect my wife how we had to learn to forgive one another there were so many things to learn about how to make cause how, where grudges wouldn't, wouldn't grow you know because you had forgiven one another how to sacrifice for each other all these things that went in the practical things that went into making a happy loving relationship as husband and wife it's something you had to learn and not just learn, you had to practice it. You had to put it into practice. And sometimes it was kind of laborious, you know, because, wow, there's so many the other things happening in life. And then you bring children into the, the issue, and you got that issue, those got those relationships going on. You, Some of you know what I'm talking about, you know. The, I, I counseled, uh, you know, counseled many a couple who neglected those kind of things in their relationship. And after 20-some years, or sometimes even sooner, they're a wreck. They, they, didn't, they didn't, weren't showing love to one another, and they wonder why they even gotten married. But relationships are like a fire in a wood stove, I, I think, on a cold, windy night. Um, if you want to get cold, just do nothing. You hear me? Um ber- Relationships are are like a fire in a wood stove on a cold, windy, snowy night. If you want to get cold, just do nothing. In order to stay warm and cozy, a fire has to be tended to. It has to be tended. It has to be carefully maintained. Sometimes it needs coaxing. Sometimes it needs stoking. Sometimes it needs fueling. Sometimes you have to relight it. Sometimes it needs air in there. Sometimes some, some sort of adjustment needs to be made. But if you keep at it, the fire will stay bright. And, it'll, and you'll be blessed with warmth. And uh, that... Um, that really rounds out what it takes, a commitment uh, to grow and maintain a relationship. It 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 rounds out in words like um, communication, uh, fellowship, uh, listening, caring, serving, sacrificing, apologizing, forgiving, settling problems, patience, humility, kindness. And these are the things, loved ones, that a growing love is, um, is made of in a happy relationship. Now, if that's true in human relationships, it's also true in our relationship with our Heavenly Father. Now, of course, He never needs to apologize to us. We are the ones that always do the apologizing and ask forgiveness. But the point is that if we want to have a prayer life, a meaningful prayer life, we have to do something. Don't we? We have to go beyond just reading the Bible and believing what Jesus says. We have to put His words, His instructions into practice. Yeah, to have a happy growing relationship with your Heavenly Father, you must do something to keep that fire going, to keep the fire stoked. Uh, Paul talks about that, about, about rekindling the flame, you know. Um, we, we don't uh, do these things uh, in order to be saved. We have to get this straight. Now you have to think with me here. I hope you've got your thinking caps on because this takes a little thinking here. But, but there's a difference between your salvation and your discipleship. You know, uh, my, I don't have to, my prayer life doesn't cause me to be saved. My, I'm saved, uh, you know. Let's just talk about that for a second. Because we need to un- understand that to get that, get that straight. Our salvation was paid in full by our Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. Amen. I didn't hear an amen there. Our salvation was paid in full by the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. Amen? Amen. Amen. It is. Loved ones, do you know why that's so cool? You could never do it. I could never pay for it. Jesus is the only one that could pay for that. we, We couldn't do anything to get right with God. Only Jesus could pay the price for us. Jesus paid it all? All to Him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, He washed it white as snow." Amen. Our salvation costs us nothing. Um, We couldn't have paid it anyway. Only Jesus could pay it. Only He could finish paying the price of redemption and He did pay it on the cross almost 2000 years ago. With those words, it is finished. And then he committed his spirit into the hands of the Heavenly Father and he died. You remember what happened? The temple, the temple veil, which had a solid four-inch thick curtain blocking the way to the Holy of Holies, which was where the presence of God was was symbolically known to abide there. You know, that, that curtain was separating everybody from God. And the Bible tells us, remember what happens? That curtain was like four inches thick. It was heavy, heavy fabric. And the Bible says that when Jesus died and committed his, his spirit in the Lord's hands, that it was torn. It was ripped from the top to the bottom. And I'm sure it made a terrible ripping noise. And if you've ever gone to curtains... If you've ever gone to your curtains in the morning, you know, as you get up in the morning, you're going to open your curtains. I'll tell you, this way I open my curtains a lot of times <laughs> in my office. I just take it and I go like that. I let them just fly both ways. And I think that's how the temple veil was torn. I think God just took it and ripped it down the middle and just right apart. It was a wide open doorway, wide open uh, entrance now to the presence of God. Hey, that's powerful. You know, you and I are now welcome to come to Him through His Son's death for us. We'll be forgiven if we will simply believe on Jesus and surrender ourselves to His authority. Amen? I tell you, that's amazing. Um, and it's not earned, it's, it's a gift. Ephesians 2 says, God saved you by His grace when you believed, and you can't take any credit for it. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it, Paul says, Ephesians chapter 2. So, but we got to keep that straight, that um, praying doesn't make God love me more. we got to get these things straight in our minds here. That's not the purpose of prayer. You know, uh, there's no way that you can make God love, love you anymore. Uh, our salvation, again, costs us nothing. Okay? So Jesus did all of that. We, we need to keep that in mind. Now listen to me. This is what costs us something. Our discipleship. That's what costs us. Your salvation didn't cost you anything. You believed that Jesus died for you. You surrendered yourself to Him and you were saved, you were forgiven, transformed. Now, does that mean that you're off the hook? I mean, does it mean like Jesus just does all the, all the buying? He does all the paying? No, there's something for us to pay too. There's a, there's a cross for us to bear as well. Jesus said, you know, that we're supposed to take up our cross. Once we believe on Him, we take up our cross. And it's our discipleship. Our discipleship costs us everything. What does that mean? The ones it means our salvation and our faith are kind of like um, how can you put how can I put it? It's kind of like the horse, and our, the, our discipleship is the cart. Okay, our the faith, our salvation, our trust in Jesus is the is the is the horse. Our discipleship is the cart. Um, our discipleship is the result of our salvation. Our, our discipleship, what we do, our obedience is the result. Of, of our belief in what Jesus did who he was who he is and what he did on the cross so we are not saved again by our works or our acts of discipleship we're not saved by being by our discipleship acts we're saved because we had faith in the Lord yeah remember and now because we do Now we're going to obey and this is a result of what we, of our belief, of our trust in Him. Remember the the song? I like that old gospel song. It really has helped me over the years of my, when when I was first a Christian. Um, Trust and obey, remember, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus. Trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus. Trust is our salvation. It reflects our faith in Jesus. It's always first. It's the horse. But you you have to have the cart which is the obedience to what Jesus commands us to do and to be. And that's, uh, that's the second part. And it's only with those two things that we can have joy. That we can be happy in Jesus. Both must work together. Or there's not any happiness. Yeah, if you try to obey Jesus without faith, you're going to be put in the cart first, and the cart has no power without the horse of faith, so so to speak. So so first trust the Lord, and then you will be empowered to be a legitimate disciple who is able to overcome sin and live in the holiness and the truth of Jesus. Well. Loved ones, if, if your commitment to Jesus in faith, uh, it's, I should say it's your commitment that enhances your life of discipleship to reflect your love. It's our faith in Christ is what, what is then reflected in our obedience, our discipleship, uh, and reflects His presence to the world. Many of you know a man by the name of Jim Elliott, or you've read about him. He died back in 1956. He was a, he was a missionary to the Alca Indians in Ecuador and um, murdered by, by uh, the ones that he went to reach with the salvation of Christ. He and four other men were murdered uh, by the Alca in- Indians. But uh, Jim, he understood what being a disciple of Jesus meant. Um, Saving faith is the most serious thing in the entire world, Jim would say, in all your life. Uh, sometimes the way, I don't know, does it ever disturb you sometimes you hear people today, sometimes I wonder if they really have the goods, if they really are saved, because they talk about Jesus so flippantly and they talk about their salvation so flippantly, like it, like it's so, it's such an everyday occurrence, it's an easy thing to do, just, you know, no, it's a—it's not like that. At all. It's a great treasure. It's a great miracle to be saved. It's a precious thing. It's a surrender of your life. It's a transformation of your life. It's its not something to be spoke about flippantly and casually. Like it's no big deal. But Jim Elliot, he would agree with that. Like, no, you know, he understood that to be a Christian and to know Jesus and his Heavenly Father required what... Uh, that first looked like a, a tremendous personal loss, but actually it's just the opposite. Remember that saying that he, that, that he said? He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Isn't that neat? He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Hmm. In other words, in our faith and discipleship in Jesus, We lose our authority over our lives. We we surrender that. We lose our life, so to speak. Jesus said, if you're going to keep your life in this world, you're going to lose it ultimately. But if you lose your life in this world, if you surrender to me, you're going to gain your life in the world to come. Yeah, that's what Jim is talking about here. If we believe on Christ and surrender ourselves to His Lordship now, then we will have have even more. We'll have something in eternity that we cannot lose. So, meaningful prayer is crucial to our discipleship in Jesus. I tried to merely take time to spell this out, loved ones, that, that um, again, don't think, well, if I don't pray, then I'm not saved. No, that's, don't think that way. You've got to stop thinking that way. Prayer is a, it's not to be thought of in that terms. It's, it's an expression of, of your belief in Jesus, it's an expression. It's your expression of your faith, of your of, of your of your belief in Jesus. It's your obedience uh, that uh, in your in your maintaining and and seeking to have a relationship with the Father. That's what meaningful. That's why I should say meaningful prayer is crucial in our discipleship. To Jesus. It's deepening our love relationship toward our Heavenly Father. And there's no way that we could ever cause God to love us more, but there are lots of ways that we can strengthen and enhance our love for Him. And that's what prayer does. It strengthens our love for Him. Amen. I heard a young preacher one time ask an older preacher how he could become a better preacher. He said, how can I become a better preacher? <laughs> the older preacher said, well, son, there's only one way to become a better preacher. You got to preach. You gotta preach. By ones, there's only one way to become a better prayer, you gotta pray. You gotta practice. You gotta learn. you have to do it. You know, you just can't read a book all the time. You just can't you just can't come listen to sermons all the time. You gotta actually put it into practice. You know, in the, in the simplest way. I mean, you don't have to start off perfect. Not, we've already talked about that. You don't have to be magnificent at it or eloquent or anything else. Just be what Jesus is, what he's been teaching us. Just start putting it into practice. Yeah, you have to actually do it here was a habit that Jesus seemed to have acquired we, we see it multiple places in scripture particularly in the book of Luke but we, we, we read the one here in Mark and in the early morning while it was still dark Jesus got up, left the house and went away to the secluded place and he was praying there <laughs> Yeah, I hope you've seen what I'm trying to say is that prayer, meaningful prayer is really a vital part of our discipleship and that's what we have to be have to put into practice you know I uh, hope you un- un- understand that that he's saying, well, if I don't pray, then God won't love me and I won't be saved anymore. No, 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 no. That's the wrong way to think about prayer. Prayer is not, prayer is a relationship enhancer. And it, it, it helps us to draw closer to God. You know, don't, don't think of it like, because there's only one thing that, that, that saved us is our faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. So we have to, we have to learn to dissect those, those, those actions there. God created the world to function, what, on a 24-hour clock. We rise and work and then we sleep and we rest and we get re-energized for the next day and we, we, we function. Have you noticed this? We function by a schedule of things that we do during the day. And it's been that way forever. Everybody, that's the way every culture does that. They have a schedule of things that they got planned for the day. They're going to do for the day. Um, a day is actually kind of like a blank sheet of paper in a way. When you get up in the morning, there are no mistakes from yesterday on it. I mean, you might have to carry over some work from yesterday, and there might be some, there might be some mistakes you, you had yesterday. But today you have a new opportunity to make things right. It's a fresh sheet of paper, in a sense. It's a, it's a, it's a fresh canvas, a blank canvas, a blank piece of paper. They're, they're, it's, uh, um, every day is new. Think about it. Every day is new. God's mercies are new every morning, Lamentations tells us in in chapter 3, verses 22 and 23. His mercies are new. You know, over the years, I've heard that some folks are morning people and some folks are night people. And it's not wrong. Um, if you use uh, your night time as your primary time to be alone with God, to have your quiet time at night, it's not, I'm not telling you that it's wrong to do that. But can I tell you something for the vast majority of folks to have your devotions, your quiet time with the Lord after the day is already over isn't as practical as meeting with Him at the first of the day. makes more sense. you got the beginning of the day. you got a wide open day. you got challenges you know you're facing. And it makes more sense to meet with him before all those things than it does after all those things has happened. You know what I mean? That's why Jesus oftentimes got up early in the morning. Of course, he prayed all through the day. He, prayed, he would pray at noon or pray at night time too. But mostly he practiced that morning, that morning time with with His heavenly Father. It just seems more practical to do it that way. There's always of course the exception to to the schedules but but usually it just seems it's best to offer the Lord a, a fresh mind. You say you don't know my mind pastor it's not fresh in the morning. Well, you know what? Do whatever you got to do. And I've known guys that get up and they say they, they put their face in the sink and brush with cold water just to wake up, you know. And uh, I'm always up and at 'em, them, ready, ready to go. Becky's more uh, sluggish in uh, waking up. And I remember this has always been a challenge in our marriage because I'm always joking and happy and teasing her. At least I used to. I don't do it anymore. But I used to. And she said, I, I'm not woke up yet. You, you need to give me a little while, you know. So I, I know there's differences with us when it comes to that. But the point is, we all can do what we have to do to get, get, get awake, don't we? Um, th- think of it this way. Uh, think of giving your best to your master. Think, think of that. Think of your quiet time, kind of like your paycheck. That's why I think about a tithe. You know, um, we can, we can, when it comes to tithing, um, uh, God's Word teaches us to give God the first fruits of our livelihood. In Malachi, you know, chapter 3, verses 10 to 12, God challenged the Hebrews to prioritize. Remember His uh, um, him with their income? Prioritize me with your income. He even asked them to test him. Say, listen, bring your tithe, and usually we consider that 10%, bring your tithe into my storehouse and see if I will not open the windows of heaven to pour out a blessing that you won't believe. And uh, try me in this. He said, I will bless your crops with abundance. And Now, this isn't a way of just saying, oh, good. I'm going to give to God so he'll give back to me. That's not the, the point. The point is, God was saying, give me first place in your life. And when you give me first place in your pocketbook, that has a lot to do with your, with, with your life. Because <laughs> those things mean a lot to us. He said, try me. I, I, I'll, I'll bless you in abundance. I recall one time, this was years ago. A Nazarene, a pastor friend of mine, said that a dairy farmer in his church began tithing, and he said he learned his cows started giving more milk. <laughs> that's something. Um, when I give to the Lord, I think of it this way. This is how I think of it. Lord, I have other bills to pay. There's medical bills. There's insurance bills. There's all kinds of bills to pay. I have bills to pay for my income. But you're the provider, Lord. I'm not kidding you. I, I do this. This is not just preaching. I do practice this. <laughs> I, Lord, I, you're my provider. You have always taken care of me. And I always give you the cream off the top. Before I think of paying anybody else, I'm paying you. Because you're, you're number one in my life. And you're the most important. And I kid you not that when I put my offering in the little box back there, that's how I think. Lord, thank you. You're number one. That's how I worship the Lord. We don't pass the place anymore, but I just worship the Lord that way. I just just don't drop it in the bucket. Or just don't drop it. But we, we need to worship the Lord in our giving and say, Lord, here. This thank you for taking care of me. And Here, you're number one in my life. In a similar fashion, loved ones, this is a day that the Lord has made. Let's rejoice and be glad in it. Psalm 118, 124. God has given us, each one of us, a new day to live and to use for Him. So begin, listen, begin by giving Him the first fruit of your day. That is the first portion of it. Give Him whatever it is be it 15 minutes, be it 30 minutes, 45 minutes, an hour or more, whatever it is. Again, we've talked about time isn't isn't the issue. But it's important that you do it, that you're giving the first part of your day. Say, I know you might think this sounds corny, but this is what I do. I say, good morning, Lord. Many times when I wake up, good morning, Lord. I gotta get woke up here, you know. I'm waking up. And uh, there's sometimes I've talked to him at night because as you get older, sometimes you don't sleep so well. So sometimes I'm up a couple hours at night time, you know. So we've already talked at the beginning of the, of the day when it was after midnight. But, but, the, but, but, the, but the point is, uh, get up, wake up, get some tea, get, get some coffee, whatever you got to do. Ask God to help you. Read a devotional. Find a good devotional book. Um, you know, read a chapter in the Bible. You say, Pastor, I'm not a good reader. Well, stop making excuses for yourself. Then download a Bible app on your phone or do like, do like my son has done. He says, Dad, I actually listen to the Bible. Sometimes on, they have these audibles, things you can download as some sort of web thing you do, whatever. But there's, there's, there's things that uh, you can listen all the way to work. You can listen to God's Word. Um, Becky, sometimes she'll be listening as she's preparing for the day. She not only reads in the morning, but then as she's getting ready, takes her longer than me, it gets her ready because she's more beautiful than I am. So, but um, uh, but she's, I, hear, I hear the Bible being played in the, in the, in the bathroom in there and, um, on, on, her, on her phone. So, you, you see what I mean? Begin the day by giving God the very first part of it. Begin the day by giving God, it's an, open, it's an open, it's a blank page, so just give God that first part. Just saying, Lord, you know what we're facing today, you know, and, and uh, the day is always best when you know that you prioritize your relationship with your Heavenly Father. Again Jesus did it many times when He was on earth. And uh, um, Psalm 119, 130 says this, it's a, just one of my favorite scriptures, He says, the entrance of your word gives light, it gives understanding to the simple. So God's word, the unfolding of his words, brings light and truth to us. Well, let me, let me close here. God's word is kind of like uh, the sparks, uh, kindling, uh, building a fire to warm your soul, and enabling prayer to be more meaningful. That's why it's important for us, I think, to go ahead and read his word. Take time to read a chapter. Read it in Proverbs. You say, well, I didn't understand much. It doesn't make any difference. You just determine you're going to read his word, and you begin reading it. Just read it. Holy Spirit will do a work in you. I promise you, this Word is living and it's active. I don't understand it all either. But the Lord, He just does something. He does something in your heart when you read His Word. Read read a chapter, read, read a half a chapter, whatever you have to do. But His entrance of His Word brings light. So it's like sparks and kindling the building of fire to warm your soul and it just enables prayer to be more meaningful. Then just use the outline Jesus gave us. Focus on God's person. Tell him how marvelous you believe him to be and something he's done for you maybe. And then bring him, you know, focus on his program where you're where you're talking about you're praying for the salvation of your your son your daughter your friend or someone who needs healing you know then then you pray for your provisions how you might you need, might need something you might need help with a bill or you're having trouble in a relationship and an attitude maybe that's, that's going wrong but you have God you need daily you need him to take care of your daily bread and then focus on your spiritual needs where you might have to ask him to forgive you for something or just to f- Forgive you for your shortcomings that that are human weaknesses and things. And lastly, protect you, you know, your spiritual protection to deliver us from evil and keep us from temptation. See how mean? It's just, it's not, we shouldn't make it that hard. Just make it simple. Make it simple. And just uh, uh, begin by making a, a time in secret with your Heavenly Father a priority, a tithe of your day if you will and if you miss a day God understands just begin again just begin again you're just a discipleship you're just a disciple you're trying to learn how to be more, more, more like Jesus amen so that's practical tip number one begin in the morning begin in the morning just, just begin do be a disciple do 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 and remember ignorance is not bliss amen amen Let's pray, Father. Thank you very, very much for the kindness that you've shown us today. By first of all, help me. I think to um, com- communicate what you wanted to have revealed, or said, or encouraged, or or spoken today. So thank you for your help, and I pray, Lord, that that uh, you would help me to be uh, uh, become just better at at doing prayer, Lord, in the morning. Help me just to, to become better at it, to learn how to hear your voice more clearly. I know as we pray, as we practice, we'll get better, Lord. And I know as we practice, Father, uh, we'll hear your voice even more clearly. But I pray, Lord, you'll help your people today to experience the joy of, the joy of that obedience in doing prayer, the joy of it. Lord, you've, you've taken away all, of the, all the roadblocks for us. You've taken away those things that would inhibit us, like it's too hard for us, or it, it's um, it's too uh, it's just impossible for us to do. Lord, you've laid it, you made it so easy. We don't have to use a lot of words. We we don't have to plead with you. We just have to request. And Lord, it's it's just you're always listening. You're not you're not you're not making us do a song and dance, Lord. You're not you're not unjust. You're you you want to help us quickly. There's just so many things you've showed us that you've made it all all easy for us. You've opened the way for us. and So I pray that we'll do it, God. I pray we'll do it. I pray you help your people to find a new joy in prayer with you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand up together. Thank you for your kind attention. And remember, ignorance isn't bliss. So, so uh, try to get as smart as you can. And <laughs>